O Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Brothers, sisters in Christ, our help is in the name of the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. Receive his greeting. Grace unto you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. From the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. Uh, in, in Omaha, I've been doing a, um, a series on the Bible's story and taking the, 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 the story of the Scriptures from Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and uh, the flood, the fall, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel, and so on. Uh, but for the holiday season, we kind of glimpsed ahead to the life and ministry of Christ. And um, in, in Revelation chapter 19, uh, it's kind of the terminus. It's, also, it's on the distance, right? What, what is coming? What, what is awaiting uh, the children of God? Well, we will read the first 16 verses of Revelation chapter 19. Uh, this is John reporting what he has seen and heard. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his saints. Once more they cried out, Alleluia! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. From the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, his church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the words. These are the true words of God. 
Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, many crowns. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread upon the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh... He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There are realities that we await. There are realities that exist in the present time. And our conduct, our response uh, is not to waver. We, we are to count them and count these things as, as the future and as our future. Uh, in fact, I, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, say that some of my words are recorded in Revelation chapter 5. Uh, listen how it is. How it is. It's verse 11 and following. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then this is is where I was getting to. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. Anybody excluded there? I don't think so. Our words. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped him. I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians. Chapter 3. Um, the Bible's in the pew. I believe that will bring you to page 973. So we will read for our scripture reading uh, Galatians 3, verse 15, through the first seven verses of chapter 4, uh, focusing our attention on verses 3 through 5. And um, the three points, if you want to note those ahead of time, Uh, The first is the necessity of Christ's redemption. The second is the means or the pathway of Christ's redemption. And then the third point is the blessings of Christ's redemption. 
So let's go ahead and read from verse 15 uh, through verse 7 of chapter 4. Galatians 3, verse 15. To give a, a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, or to seeds, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This it was, is what I mean, the law which came 430 years afterward does not annul the covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we all, when we were children, were enslaved to the elemental principles of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God, through God. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the story of the Bible, I trust you see and recognize is better than any fiction. 
Now, if we take a poll here, what's your favorite story, your favorite book? Uh, I would guess we would see some uh, J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. We might see some C.S. Lewis. We might see some Harry Potter, whatever, right? Well, all of those are, are fantasies. Uh, they were literally created out of thin air. And that is the exact opposite. The exact opposite of what we find in the Scriptures. Now, to verify and to validate that this is the real story, the true story, you can actually find genealogies that, uh, that connect the present to the past. Right? Uh, in fact, in Matthew chapter 1, there's a genealogy of the lineage of Christ and Joseph, and it goes back to Abraham. Think about that. Uh, 2,000 years brought together. You go to the, the Gospel of Luke, and it traces the history of the Bible characters and the events of Scripture back to Adam and Eve. It's astounding. Well, as we come to this passage in Galatians chapter 4, it's that same story. It's a story that was promised back in the Garden of Eden. Remember God promised the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Well, what, what people don't, don't often realize is that when God puts enmity there, why does he do that? Because there was none. What does that mean? There was no enmity. Well, there was no enmity between the serpent and the woman. There was no enmity between the serpent, between her seed and his seed and their seed. There was no enmity. So God says, no, enough. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. I'm going to make you enemies. Henceforth. I'll put enmity between your seed and his seed. Which, which means there will forever be a separation between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And of course... That separation continues to the present day. There are those who hear, who believe, those who know, those who walk in the way of understanding and truth and seek to serve the Lord. So we pick up the story in Galatians chapter 4. And, and, and really it talks about Christmas. It talks about the coming. Uh, of the Savior, the coming of the Son of God. In fact, the, the reading from Revelation 19 was going to connect back to, to, to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, the last phrase that we read in, in, um, in Revelation chapter 19, and His name written on His thigh and on His clothes, the Word of God. The actor in history. Uh, the Lord, the, the King, the ruler. Uh, as I, I, I use as a call to worship from uh, Revelation chapter 1 most weeks. I, I'm just utterly humbled before it. Who washed away our sins with his own blood. 
You want to be serious in worship? Think about that. He washed away our sins with His precious blood. How can we respond to that? Gratitude, thankfulness, devotion, uh, committing ourselves and our futures, uh, all that we have to the advancement and the service of the kingdom of God? Indeed. The story of the Bible begins at creation, becomes mired in the fall in Genesis chapter 3, almost lost in in Genesis chapter 5 and 6. We hear about the flood. God says, enough. Enough. I'm going to destroy all that I have made. Every creature, every man. But thankfully, there's a Genesis 6 verse 8 that says, but Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. That's a threat. And that's the means by which God would preserve His creation, by which He would preserve His promise. And and so, through all the uglies of the Old Testament, why, why does God continue to be patient? Because He's not yet defeated His fall. He's not yet sent His man into the ring to conquer sin and Satan and the power of evil. But that day, but that day was coming. So the story of the Bible is really the story of redemption. Uh, It's the story of how God is going to be just and righteous in punishing wickedness and how He's going to be gracious and merciful delivering His own from that that petition, from that price. We'll start at the need of Christ's redemption. First three verses of chapter 4 read thus. Now I say to you that as long as a child, he is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, even though he has title, he's the master of all. But is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, he, he, we're not talking about others anymore, we're not talking about us. We were under the bondage, under the elements of this world. What does that even mean? We're under the power of sin. Because we're lawbreakers, the sin had to be punished. Uh, In short, either we had to die with an eternal punishment, or someone had to die in our place. Which brings us to where where we are uh, in the Word of God. So from Genesis 3, 4, and 5. Genesis chapter 12, the promise to Abraham that through his seed, through his offspring, singular he says, all the kingdoms of the world, all the families of the earth will be saved, will be blessed. And of course this, lots of stuff in the Old Testament, right? Deliverance from Egypt. We read about the temple, the tabernacle, the sacrifices that were to be made. And and what we learn in the end, especially through the book of Hebrews, is that they didn't actually remove sin. And, And what I realized in the last month is that the Old Testament ceremonies and sacrifices, uh, they're ceremonial. They're just like sacraments. 
Do the sacraments save us from our sins? No. The water? The, the bread? The wine? No. What do they do? They point. They point to the one who can, and the one who will, and the one who does. And of course that one is Christ. And so it is that, yeah, let's go to verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. We were under bondage. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. What can dead people do? Decompose, right? Turn to dust. So what, what we were is powerless. What we were is under bondage. We were unable to help ourselves. And so what we could not do, God in His grace, God in His mercy, does do through His Son. He comes to the rescue. He comes as the deliverer. And of course, what we need to see, you know, it talks about the law and, and, and all of those things. What does the law do? The law holds us accountable for our sin. Uh, if you think about it in terms of uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, uh, for by sin, by the law, comes the knowledge of sin, that the whole world, the whole world might become guilty before God. That's what the law does. It speaks one resounding guilty, one resounding verdict. And apart from our being helped and delivered, uh, we are in, in a tough spot. Question answer 12 of the Catechism. We'll get there in a few weeks. Since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. Yeah. How can we escape? Can we pull a Houdini and, and get out of our fix? No. We're dead, remember? All we can do is rot. So what we hear... And what we see is the lesson of Psalm 21. 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? The only place that help can come. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's the story. And, and, and the means by which this deliverance comes is verse 4. When the fullness of the time had come. What does that mean? Well, we have thousands of years of human history. And God had determined at a particular point in time, He would send His Son. You know, our, our, our calendars, our, our, the years that we live in, um, are, are according to that. Uh, B.C., before Christ, A.D., uh, and Anno Demini, or however you pronounce that, uh, after the Lord, uh, after the King. Well, why would God pick that time? Well, ultimately, I suppose we, there, there are things hidden that we don't know, but practically, 
Uh, this is one of the first times in world history that there was common language, that there was commerce, that there was roads, that there was, that there was the, the ability to, to advance and to spread from, from place to place and city to city was in place. And so there was language, there was uh, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, as it were. But of course, all of those are subservient to God's uh, intent and God's time and purpose that he had had. Uh, God's prophetic timetable. In fact, even in Jesus' ministry, three years long, there was a point at which uh, some were going to take him and make him king. There was times when they were going to throw him off a cliff. And what does Jesus say? My time has not yet come. Uh, another point he says, it's not fitting that a prophet should die outside of Jerusalem. Because he knew that he would be the Paschal Lamb. He would be the Lamb of God that would be sacrificed to make atonement for the sins of his people. But when the fullness of the time had come, God Almighty sent forth His Son. Kind of sounds like John 3, verse 16, doesn't it? For God so loved the world, what did He do? He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, interesting thing, I mean, I don't know if it's intentional or if it's just the, the, the way that it is, where it says God sent forth His Son, it's the word that we get apostles from. So, a literal rending of that phrase, God apostled the Lord Jesus Christ. He sent the Son to do His job, to, to fulfill the will that God had had for Him. Uh, in fact, I think uh, Chris Nelson uh, read Isaiah chapter 46 for the last time, 49, one of the last times he was here. And, and it's, a, it's an astounding passage. Uh, through the voice of the prophet, the word of God says, it would be too small a thing to send my servant to restore the lost sheep of the children of Israel. Too small. Think bigger. I will send him as a light to the Gentiles that they might know uh, and, and love the Lord our God. And of course, who, who, who's he talking about? But their antecedents, which is us. Right? We're, not, we're not the Jewish nation. That would be too small. We, we are now part of that composite people of God throughout history, throughout the ages, throughout the, the, the global planet Earth, who have come to know and believe and serve the Lord God Almighty. And of course, the, the imagery here, I think, is inescapable. Who is the seed of the woman? Listen. listen. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. We've studied about Mary, right? Her call, what the angel said to her. And, and she says, how can this be? I've not known a man. And the angel Gabriel says, with man it is impossible, with God all things are possible. The Holy Spirit should come upon you, the power of the Most High shall overshadow you, and that Holy One who is to be born of you will be called the Son of God. Because He would be the Son of God. 
He's the Word of God in flesh. The Word was part of the other sermon I was going to preach today. John 1.14 For the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us for a while. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full, full, overflowing of grace and truth. God sent forth His Son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law. Isn't that exactly what we read? Matthew and Luke taken together. On the seventh day, or the eighth day, the Lord Jesus was circumcised. Why? Did he have sins to be cut off? No, but he, he was there in our place. On the 30th day, went to the temple, the offering for cleansing. And they offered, I think it was two pigeons or something. Of course, his life. He, he continued to grow in grace and knowledge and the fear of God. Uh, in honor with both God, man, and, and, and God himself. He fulfilled the law. Remember, he goes to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, no, you should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, that we must fulfill all righteousness. And so John baptized him. And, and that's, of course, when the Holy Spirit descends upon him. In the form of a God. The Father says, This is my well-beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Incredible. And, and interestingly, that's the beginning of His ministry. At the end of His ministry, at the Mount of Transfiguration, God pretty much says the same thing. In, in other words, when He says, This is my well-beloved Son, that means His Son has done all that He was supposed to do. He did not fail. He did not falter, but accomplished that which uh, the Lord had willed. To what effect? To what consequence? When the fullness of the time had come, we would say Christmas, but we're not exactly sure what date that was on. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Verse 5 has the, the blessings of this redemption. He comes to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Uh, both of those phrases, anybody in Greek scholars here use the preposition hina which is either a purpose clause, in order that, or a result clause, so that. Uh, actually, the, the ESV, the, the Bible that you have in front of you, uh, listen to verse, verse 5 there. I'll read, read 4 together. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. In order to redeem those who were under the law, the result, so that, we might receive adoption as sons. Christ accomplished what he came to do. He satisfied God's desire 
in, in that God would be just in punishing our sins and merciful in providing the Lamb who would be Christ. You know, it's just like Abraham offering, going up on the mountains of Moriah with his little son uh, Isaac. Daddy, here's the fire, here's the wood, but where's the sacrifice? Can you imagine being Abraham? Oh, don't worry, son. The Lord will provide. And they get to the top of the mountain. He makes a, a, an altar. He binds his son. Can you imagine? Daddy, why? And, and lays them there on the altar. Takes the knife, ready to plunge it. I think more likely to, you, you would bleed out the lamb by slicing its throat. And, and as he's about to do it, God says, Stop, Abraham! Now I know that you love me. And, and that's exactly what Christ did. Right? What God did, he gave his son, his only son, his well-beloved son, his loved son, to be the sacrifice for our sins. To pay the price. To pay the penalty. The amazing part, you know, Romans chapter 5 captures some of that. He says, for a righteous man, someone might dare to die. And you, and you hear about that in the, in, in the battlefield, right? There'll be a soldier that will fall on a grenade so that his, his, his buddies don't die. That's the idea. <laughs> but here's the contrast. But God commended his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners and rebels, and contrary to God, He would die for us. Because it was, it was His death that enabled us to be taken into favor. To be received as His own, as His children. Of course, as I, as I emphasized in Lord's Day chapter 1, or question and answer 1, Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for all the sins of all men, but it was only applied, made efficient, effective, to all the sins of some men. So you see, his love, his sacrifice, was intentional. It was a focused, and it accomplished what it intended. And here's the wonder of one. God, for no particular value in you or I or anyone, affected his grace from before the foundation of the world. So that our, we never pat ourselves on the back, right? Because all that we've had, we've received. <clears throat> It's not your height, it's not your size, it's not your smarts, it's not your wisdom, it's not your humor. Nothing like that counts. Only God's grace and His love. And, and, and that He continues this, this work of His grace in, in our lives through our families. Can you imagine the, the blessing of that? For the promise is to you, dad and mom, and to your children. What a... Get out of jail free card. It's not as if that 
Uh, we're, like, like John chapter 1 says, who were saved not, not by blood, not by the will of men, not by the will of another, but were born of God. By His Spirit. Uh, opening our eyes uh, to hear and to see and to know. Beloved, these verses are astounding. Uh, These verses tell uh, of the working of God's grace in the hearts and the lives of His own. At at best, this is what Christmas is about. Uh, As we look at the old year, as we look forward to the new year, uh, what, what proper leverage do we need to recognize of the kindness, of the mercy, the generosity of Almighty God. That He would send His Son to be our Savior, who would redeem His people from their sins and accomplish all that He would will. And, and, and the beautiful thing of it all is, is the biggest reason for it all is the glory of God. And along the way, the collateral benefit, not damage, is that we are shown grace. But, but ultimately, it's just because God had, has set in order the purpose of His will, the means by which He would be glorified. In fact, Isaiah 46 says that He declares the end from the beginning and the things that are not as though they were. And, and somehow, on that line of God's purpose, in our day, in our age, here we find connection. We find that we belong to the Lord, to His Word, and to His will. So as we wrap this up, as we look to the year that is to come, um, what, do you, what do we do? I would say we hope, trust, and live earnestly seeking the Lord, first His kingdom and His righteousness, uh, that we would let His Word dwell in our hearts richly. Uh, Jesus says, we cannot live without the Word of God. Do you believe Jesus is right? If you believe Jesus is right, which you have to if you're a believer, then we need to take that to heart. Uh, how, how many of you have begun to do, oh, I, need to, I need to spend more time in the Bible. I need to read the Word of God on a daily basis. And we do that for a few days, maybe a few weeks, and then, oh, it's February. Whew, where'd that month get away from? And then it's March, and then it's April and May, and these years slip away. The only way that change is going to take place in our lives is if we maintain a new habit. And I just read this somewhere. If we maintain a new habit for six weeks. So, right now, don't plan on reading the Bible the whole year. A little bit tongue-in-cheek. Plan on it for six weeks. You're going to spend 15 minutes. Maybe read a chapter. Maybe two chapters. And spend some time in prayer. And, and just maybe, if you make it for six weeks, you make it to six months, we'll come back next year, we'll be where we want to be and not where we often end up being. In fact, um, one more verse to help in that, in 
James chapter 1. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you need help, let him ask of God who gives to all freely and abundantly, and it will be supplied. So we can certainly ask for help. God says, if we need wisdom, just ask. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, this wonderful story. Uh, the wonderful, true story of redemption. How it is you that supply all that we need. It is you that secures uh, our present, our past, our future. Uh, even in the world and the life that is to come. Lord, be pleased to bear witness with our spirit of that which is your word and your will and your way. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.